Hi. Like a lot of people, I've been so missing travel and we've been in and out of lockdown. So what I did was I purchased a bike. You'll see it in the little pic there. It's so beautiful. I took my son and we went on an adventure. We just have returned home with our pannier full of treasure, forage treasure. For those who don't know me, I'm Linny Stein. This is the Linny Stein Show where I share with you my love of life. A lot of fermenting food, that's where I have, I founded the Gut Academy and I do share how to ferment your food, how to store your harvest. So in this case, we're storing our forage treasure. First, we ferment the forage treasure. It's a simple preparation. If you're not familiar with fermentation, it just transforms that already tasty, in this case, it's wild foods, into something, what I say, is truly delicious. And it's even better for you than the original. And of course, it stores our holiday memories for many years of tasting on our plates. And better still, you don't need to go to the shops for ingredients. Fermentation is the oldest, simplest and arguably tastiest means of preservation known to man. There isn't a culture that doesn't have a fermented preparation near the heart of its food culture. You know, think the Korean kimchi, the German sauerkraut, kombucha, salsa, pesto, even your beer and your cheese and your kefir. The list is endless. Many peeps, though, they seem to be happy to spend money on those very expensive probiotic drinks and powders. Yeah, under some vague understanding that they are good for them. They balk at the idea of fermenting plants. Stepping from a world governed by, you know, use-by dates and built-in food waste to one where natural flora and bacteria are encouraged to pre-digest our food, and it is understandably a big step. But it is an important and hugely rewarding step, and I urge anyone to take it for gastronomic, health, and even spiritual reasons. It is well worth remembering that humans are not one creature, but we are a complex array of mutually beneficial organisms, especially when it comes to digestion. You know, you would have heard we aren't we're not what we what we eat, we are what we digest, what we absorb. Foraging, getting back to my foraging, I always get off track. It's a great way to get free food. It's also a great way to become intimately connected with where you live. You don't have to go off on two wheels like I did. We started it. We started at the um, beach. We had a lovely secluded beach spot, and then we went up the mountains, uh, back to where I lived oh, a couple of decades ago. But I lived there for actually over a decade. It's a wonderful community. I still have some beautiful friendships there. But bush tucker, that's um, that's an Australian terminology. As you can tell by my voice here, I've got German ancestry, but I, I am born and bred in Australia. And it, the bush tucker, that's the terminology for the huge variety of, oh, there's so many herbs and spices and edible mushrooms and edible flowers and fruits and vegetables and even insects that are all native to our country and, and edible. Some grow wild in our backyards and others will hide their goodness in real remote parts of the desert and along the coastline and are most difficult to find. Foraging helps me, it just helps me notice things I never did. It's a bit like, you know, the stop and smell the flowers. 
You can make the wild fruits. They just make excellent jams and sauces and chutneys and the lacto-fermentation pickles and, and even desserts. Like this, the, you get all the little nuts that grow and they can be used in like raw pies, like as bases and put in with fruit to make your layered pies, your sweets and your treats and even breads. The flowers and seeds, they make ice cream and oh, the fermented beverages and of course the spices get added to your tea breads and treats. But even in restaurants you can find meat and fish dishes. They're seasoned with things like the ground courage on flowers and your wattle seed ice cream. Your lily pilly berries are soaked in honey and quandong. That's like a wild peach. It can be stewed and, and turned into ice cream, turned lovely served with ice cream. Even cappuccino, the coffees are seasoned with wattle seed and buffalo steaks are smoked over banksia cones. One thing I really loved on, on our adventure was when we started at the beach and those green coconuts. Oh, I love those coconuts. They're just like, you know, in Forrest Gump, the beautiful movie where he said, your life is like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you'll find. And it's the same with your green coconut. You know, you, you, you put a little drill bit and get a little clean stainless steel bit on your drill and just drill a hole in the top and pop your little straw. We just carry stainless steel straws with us and we've got this little tiny drill. It's just wonderful when you find the green coconuts. I say they can have that beautiful God's nectar liquid. And sometimes it's you get that surprise. It's like that box of chocolates because sometimes you get this layer of thick, oh, it's like a yogurt. Sometimes it's just a thin layer. But if the, the coconut is really green, it's just rather a tart liquid without any of that yogurt. Oh, they just are so superb. I could just live on them. There's a lemon aspen. If you're not familiar with all these, I'll just sort of explain a little bit of what we bought back in one pannier. It's a small, pale, lemon-coloured fruit and it has a sharp citrus flavour. Oh, it's just, and I, we bought back bush tomatoes, some wild limes, some grass seeds, the ever popular pigweed, some wattles, and some mangrove pods. Oh, the lacto fermented pigweed, that's the into pesto, that's just yum yum in your dum dum. But you can take the rough outside parts off your grass seeds and you can grind it to a powder and you add some water and you just cook in the coals for a damper. That's memories going back from my girl guide days. The seeds from the hairy pods of the Currajong and Illawarra flame trees, you can roast those and you can ground them for an exceptional rich dark flour. What about tubers and yams and corms and roots for the barbie? Don't forget your greens, like the bruised leaves of fishweed and different salt bushes. They can be prepared like spinach. Your leaves of cresses to add to sauerkraut and the buds and flowers steamed as like just like a broccoli and the seeds you can ground as a mustard. I tell you, I'm totally in love with the leaves and stems of lemon myrtle. I'm just a little grown a new little bush in my yard. It has a beautiful citrus flavour. It's great for your water kefir and kombucha. The native pear, it produces like a green pod with seeds and when it's young it tastes like fresh peas. The paper bark, which comes from the Malaluka tree, that can use, be used like as a platter, a liner. We used when like you're cooking, you wrap it like a, it imparts like a delicate smoky flavour from the oils. 
And you can wrap your fish or poultry with a light sprinkle of the lemon myrtle and then put it in the oven to bake. Or just put on a dry plate and bar- or on the barbie. Oh, the nectar-bearing flowers like bottle brush, brush grevillea, and banksia. And you can suck out the little sweet nectar from them. And the blossoms you can make into a sweet drink. The scarlet petals of the wild rosella. That imparts a crisp berry rhubarb flavour. There's fruits and vegetables and minerals and animals that all come from the bush. Traditionally, these were hunted and gathered in many ways. It's just over many thousands of years. Our wonderful people have perfected the skill of obtaining and preparing these natural materials into edible foods. What a gift. What can we do with them all? Oh, I tell you, we had, we had just the most fantastic time. It really brought me back to how you can just survive. This is real survival food. And we get sort of carried away in our everyday life, and especially now that I'm on an urban farm, but you know, you can just slip down to the shop. But these people up here, a lot of those are living like a self-sufficient lifestyle. And you know, we had things like dandelion and moringa, the, you know, the mighty moringa tree. Well, it, they make them into like a pancake and like a little wild quiche. The dandelion blossom into salads and even they fry the dandelion greens. You can place a selection of your wild leaves in a blender with um with some I like to use a little bit of coconut kefir, like milk kefir, and just some fresh seasonal fruits like some berries and banana or pineapple and mango. We live in the tropics, and you can blend it to make a nutrient rich smoothie. Of course, you can ferment any green combinations, and you can make it into an enzyme juice. Wow, this is a superfood green smoothie. Many of the weed leaves and the forage flowers can be eaten raw. Just always confirm that they are edible. Yeah, nibble on your leaves in the garden and add something extra to a creative plate by mixing with some, say, kefir cheese. Like, you know, when you, you put through your kefir, like you do a second fermentation of it and let it drip through uh, in your muslin cloth and you'll get that nice, soft, more firmer cheese. And you can spread that and you can use it as a garnish on a meal. You can add it to like sauerkraut and kimchi before fermentation and add to your finished food. Your purslane seeds, they make a beautiful seed cake. And you can lightly saute the purslane leaves and the stems as well, not the real woody parts. And you can add those to like, again, your kefir cheese or tomato, and some tomato and some fermented garlic and oregano, and a little bit of olive oil to top it off. You can add the leaves to a cup of boiling water in a teapot. Oh, when I do this, I like to add some additional garden herbs because it gives it a nice aroma and flavouring. Things like lemongrass or tulsi, ginger or your native mint. Just stir and steep it for a few minutes. Then you can add your optional kefir when, when it's cool. We don't want to kill all the good beasties. And you can enjoy the health-promoting benefits. Your pigweed, I'm going back to the pigweed, just thought about it. You can use them fresh and you can use them dried as well. And again, you can use that to make a tea. There's a pineapple weed, if you aren't familiar with it, and it's got a beautiful flavour. It's very closely related to chamomile, so it's very calming, and it's excellent as a tea. And in the the dried leaves, you can even make into like a lape toe. If you're not familiar with what lape toe is, that's considered the national dish in Burma. And the dried leaves, they make like into a fermented tea leaf salad.
You can pickle your fresh leaves, your fruit and your berries in like an apple cider vinegar. Then you can add your fermented garlic and your ginger and garlic and herbs for flavouring when you serve. Our ancestors, they used like as a pot herb by adding handfuls of your fresh forage leaves to soups and stews and steamed vegetables and curry and even like starchy grain dishes. The old pioneer peeps, they learned to be excellent economists. They often experienced difficult times due to unusual weather and crop failure. So there was a shortage of food and of course they didn't have supermarkets. So they often foraged nature's bounty. So you can incorporate leaves in your recipes, like say like a kefir cream fresh waddle seed quiche or wild garlic pesto, stir fries and fritters and dumplings and casseroles and spreads and dips and dressings. There's fermented salsa and so much more. Your waddle flowers don't use the stalks, just use the flowers. They can be added to like kefir pancake mixture or any pancake mixture. You can dry the leaves and crush to a fine powder with your hands. Now this is stored survival food. Then you can add it to soups and stews, even your dog food and your chicken food. I always put a little bit, I use the moringa and, and lots of the leaves and I crush all those to a fine powder and sprinkle them over the dog food. Your pig face, that can be blanched and put into like a light pickling solution. The flowers contain like sweet nectar. They add a lovely touch to like your kaffir creations. The pig face, they say, I was told, they've been said that they'd cut the fat of the echidna, but oh, who wants to eat the echidna? Well, no thank you, no echidna for dinner for me. The thistles and the nettles and the mallows and the minor, miner's lettuce, dandelions and watercress you can use for salads. And these ones are quite familiar all around the globe. These aren't just Australian bush foods. You know, you'll find um, thistles and nettles and miner's lettuce, lettuce growing all around the place because the miner's lettuce, I think it does have another, uh, that's not actually its, its proper name, but they called it because it, it, the miners brought it into Australia with all the little seeds and they were, were on their little pants and things and they just sort of blew all over the place. So it got name as, named as miner's lettuce. You can add like the dried powdered leaves to dried garden herbs like even just your normal garden herbs. You can dry the leaves with the herbs and put it into like a shaker, like an old salt shaker. And you can use that for flavouring all your meals. It's a, just a nutrient-rich salt substitute. Of course, when you go foraging, you can, there's, you can go to the water as well. We can let, we'll move from the land now to the water and you can forage some algae. Of course, make sure you have obtained relevant permits and know what species you are chomping and the water that it comes from is clean. Because seaweed is an important part of the marine ecosystem. We only ever take what we need and we only remove the upper portions of the plant and we normally carry with us little, nice little pair of scissors. See, I fit a lot in my bike pannier, but you can use like a little knife as well. But make sure you leave the whole fast intact because that'll allow the seaweed to regrow. Sea purslane, when cooked, it tastes like potato chips. It's beautiful with a dip. I love to make seaweed with grated horseradish and grated carrot and add it to my cabbage, into my sauerkraut. That is just a beautiful combination. Seaweed added to kimchi is another lovely combination. So 
if you don't want to go on a big adventure like we did, you can just get in touch with your neighbours because foraging is a great way for people to engage with the, the lushness of your neighbourhood. Just your daily commutes. You don't have to make a big adventure out of it. You can just go to your favourite beach or just for your local, like a river walk. I know our river walks, they reveal plenty of those big tamarind trees. They have those edible pods. Do you know you can even eat the leaves and the flowers? It's all edible. Tamarind's an amazing tree. It grows big. They used to call it the meeting tree because they grow, grew so big that everyone used to have their meetings underneath them for the shade. The actual little tamarind fruit, it's like a little, almost, almost like a tart apricot. And it resembles a little bit like cat poo when it dangles because it dangles like in little clusters of brown suede. Very pretty. And their flavour, like I said, it's sweet and sour. It's, oh, it's totally delicious. You can make a tamarind paste. You get that fruit and you sque it's squeezed with hot water. And the seeds are removed to create a paste. Then you can transform the seeds and peels some raw honey and clean water into tamarind flavoured vinegar. Yeah, we don't waste anything. It does make a beautiful tonic if you, if you combine that tamarind with turmeric. Um, just get a good sized piece of turmeric root, peel it and cut it into chunks. You can add some ginger root with the turmeric. I like to put a bit of ginger with the turmeric as well because it gives it a little bit of extra zing. So just grab about six tamarind pond, pods. If you're not um, close to a tamarind sauce and of course they are seasonal you could just use two tablespoons of tamarind paste and you'll get those at a lot of the um, the Asian type stores will sell a, a pure tamarind paste and just grab juice of say two lemons or two limes and half a cup of raw local honey two liters of water uh, you can also use a mixture of like a herb tea what I love to use in place of the two litres of water, I use a mixture of brewed tulsi, that's like a basil that grows in my yard, and some lime juice, and, and that's perfectly beautiful with, instead of the two litres of water. So you just bring one litre of that um, to the boil, and then heat the turmeric until the water becomes that rich golden colour. Then you make your paste, or use the paste that you've already purchased, if you're making it, just crack open the pods and remove the fruit. Simmer the tamarind fruit and stir it gently to dissolve into like a jam-like texture. When the seeds have come out of the fruit, let the mixture cool. Then you pour it through a strainer to remove the seeds and the seed peels and it'll create the paste. Add enough cool water to the turmeric or bring the temperature just warm and blend thoroughly to liquefy the cooked turmeric. Add the paste to the blended mixture and blend it again. Sounds a lot, but it's very easy. Add your lemon juice and honey and blend once more. Add enough cool water, or if you're using the brew, the herb brew, bring the quantity up to that two litres of the liquid. Then distribute the blended tonic into small jars with airtight lids. Leave about a half to one inch of headspace because it's, it's going to, like any fermentation, it's going to create CO2, so you're going to get bubbles coming up, so you need to give a little bit of room for expansion. And just ferment it at your room temperature for just two days, and then just refrigerate it for storage. makes great gifts too, because it has much of use. The honey will gradually, it'll continue to sort of, even the honey by itself won't ferment, but when you've got it with the liquid, it will, like a mead. And it, leave, it leaves the taste, but not the sweetness. 
When you're ready to drink, swirl to distribute the solids or strain before drinking if you prefer a real clear liquid. I like to just leave it as is. I never strain it. But you can drink it diluted, just like a cordial. So you just put a little bit of the tonic at the bottom and top it up with nice clean source of water or even like a, a fizzy water, like a, a mineral water that's got carbonated in it. And that makes a really lovely drink. You can just pour it over as a garnish or a dressing. You can use it in your smoothies, your dips and in your cheese. Very pretty, but it dances in kefir churned ice cream. Your vanilla little kefir ice cream, talking about ice cream, you can top that with some kwandong and some chonky apple with a dusting of sweet native fruit like the macadamia or spices and even your finger lime dukkha. Russian salad is made with diced potatoes, carrots, peas, lots of wild forage greens and a dill pickle. And you can steam the vegetables and, you, and then dice your dill pickle Add a generous heaping of fermented wildflower buds to the mixture. A bit of homemade mayonnaise is lovely mixed in too. When selecting your flower buds for fermentation, pick the buds that are still tightly closed, not, flower, not the flowers that have simply closed for the night because they'll have, well, they'll have little bits of petals sticking out. Use these as you would capers. To make a classic dill pickle, Cover your fresh-picked cucumber in a clean jar or a crock, depending on the quantity that you're fermenting, with your salted brine and add your dill seeds and garlic cloves. But you can use a tannin-rich knotweed stalks in place of the cucumber for cucumber pickles. And they are full of tannin. It's just beautiful, your knotweed stalks. The leaves and flowers are the best bits of the wild garlic if you're making your wild garlic pesto. And if you leave the bulbs which is a great idea, so you're only going to be using like the stalks and the flowers, more wild garlic will be there next year. So harvest sustainably if you're fortunate enough to find a big enough patch to, to sustain some picking. My grandma, she used to make a pesto, and she used to use the wild greens, garlic and sorrel, watercress and a walnut oil. And she'd mix the green. She'd mix it in with like a soft cheese, like a quark, and she'd top that with poached eggs and a sauerkraut salad on the side. Oh, what a beautiful meal! Do remember that while foraging can be a lot of fun, you should never eat something unless you are sure of all the facts. That's why joining one of these foraging groups is a really great idea in your local area. You can team up and you'll find you know, there'll be some people there with sage advice because they've been doing it a long time. You can also get nice a lot of books and you can read online on all the plants, what to eat, because they all have lookalikes. So before you pick, know the plant first and know it's lookalike. Know when it is edible, what part is edible, how it is edible by being raw or cooked or fermented and how. A lot of people found out that by fermenting a lot of these foods, it took out any poisons that was in there because that's the magic of fermentation. But you also need to know how much, how much to eat of it, how much is too much, and never ever harvest plants near a roadside, polluted waters, any areas. You know the drill. You don't need me telling you that, but it is very wise for me just to, to pop it in. A fermented plant juice is a fermented extract of the plant's blood and chlorophylls. That's how I think of it. That's it. When you 
massage out that juice it is. It's just, it's live. And then you add some unrefined sugar, and that's used to extract the essence through osmotic, osmotic pressure. I call it, it's known as FPJ, and it's a rich enzyme solution. It's full of bacteria. It'll invigorate your plants. It's what we use as our plant fertilizer. And it's great for any animals, and it's even good for humans. So what about rain? Because we come across a little bit of rain on our way back, and I said, oh, I said to my son, Thierry, thank gosh, we got all our, our little treasures. And he said, why, Mum? I said, ah, the fresh rain, it's just like any fermentable. It's a cultural imprint, and it's derived from our ancestors. Because we have to avoid harvesting during or immediately after rainfall. Foraging or harvesting two days after a rain shower is recommended for, for any fermentation because the microorganisms, they've washed away on the rainy day and they've not had time to re-establish re the following day. So after two fine days, they are good for picking and will be full of moisture and the good beasties will be present in heavy concentrations. So plants are best collected just before sunrise as this is when the plants have the most nutrients. Because plants have two metabolic processes, anabolism and catabolism. When the sun is up, the anabolism is primary. From about three o'clock in the afternoon to the next sunrise, the catabolism is active. This means that in the early morning, just before sunrise, the plants contain the most nutrients and vitality. That's the best time to make your enzyme juice and prepare, prepare your fermentation as soon as possible after picking the plants. So when you're fermenting, just always remember to submerge it in brine, whether it be your, like your pestos is more of a paste, but just make sure that it's always covered and all will be fine. There's a noni fruit. Not sure if you know that. I mean, that's a Hawaiian noni fruit. Uh, it comes under many names, the great Marinda. Um, in Australia, we call it the Australian cheese fruit. Um, it's also known as the Indian mulberry. And there's a nickname for it. It's called the vomit fruit because of the strong aroma. And you know what? It worsens as the fruit ripens. But it's very good to eat. It's usually blended with other fruits when juiced or added. You can add it to like second fermentation beverages. You know, the little young leaves, if you're close to a noni fruit tree and you'll see these growing, these grow wild. Um, they can be added to like a pesto, a kimchi and even into your sauerkraut. Traditionally, noni juice was fermented and you'd pick the yellow fruit as opposed to the two young green. Because in a lot of fermentation, we like to use fruit that's not ripe, but it's the opposite with noni juice. The best way is to bottle it, let it get soft, Put in a glass jar, just cut or squish into the jar and sit it out in the sun. It's a little bit different from our other fermentations that we keep away from UV light. And cap and, and three times a day open the cap and release the air. Again, totally different to all our lacto fermentations where we do it in anaerobically where we don't want to let any air in. But you can use a tight mesh screen. After about a week, longer if you'd like it more powerful, just place it in the fridge and drink it as a tonic or add it, as I said, to other, drink, other beverages. The aroma smells rather rotten, I will, I will admit, and anyone unfamiliar will think that that odour 
is not good, but there's a smell of good fermented noni and bad, just like a fine wine. Scrap mead, mead's a bit, that's like a honey wine. And now pure honey does not invite microbial activity when diluted with water. So it will when we dilute it, but you are going to produce alcohol. So two to three parts with one part of raw honey is a good, that's a good mixture and that'll ferment readily into mead. So we bought back some Davidson plums and they're great for making like beverages and jam and sauce. But you can use the seeds and some a gift from the bush bees of honey. The bush bees and, and the seeds make a beautiful mead. Just place a couple of the seeds with clean water and some lemon myrtle leaves. Just bring it to a boil and allow to simmer. Then you strain out the seeds and the pulp and add source of water to make up the four litres and stir in a kilo of raw local honey. Add a dash of vanilla powder. I love to add my little bit of vanilla in there and a half a lemon. Now the wild yeast ferment, just let it wild yeast ferment and until it's like a champagne-like bubble, that will produce about, oh, about 75 to 8% alcohol. Ooh, beautiful though. Lovely, makes a lovely gift. There's lots of foods that I could keep going on and on. We're just so fortunate to have this supermarket in, in the bush, you know, and so many things that you can do with it. Like you can ferment your lemon aspen, you can do it in a brine, you can make vinegar stinky cheese and ice cream and wild pesto and lime marmalade and spicy pickles with quandongs and muntries. Anise myrtles are beautiful added to second ferment kombuchas. You can pop them into like a fermented beetroot relish instead of your star anise or aniseed. There's wild rosellas. That's a member of the hibiscus family with large white hibiscus flowers. Oh, they're beautiful. They stand out like a beacon in the forest when sunlight falls. The tastier part of the plant is the new leaf growth. Although the leaves are rather prickly, they crush easily under pressure and are tasty. When you ferment the leaves, it takes out that prickliness. And again, you can add it to like sauerkraut and your wild pestos. And again, as part of an enzyme juice. The tea is known for its extremely high antioxidant content. There's neem, the old neem tree growing all around. And the tea is made from the leaves. And it can be used as a drink or for kombucha. Just beware that neem tea is very bitter. Rather than tasting bitter, some people think neem leaf it sort of resembles the grassy notes of green tea. You can add a sweetener to it, like a honey or something to your brew if you prefer. Generally, you make just neem tea the same way you make any other herbal tea. But please note, you should not drink neem tea while you're pregnant or if you're trying to conceive. You can use dried or fresh neem leaves and use the same amount as you would for any other cup of tea. Say a good teaspoon of dried neem leaf per teacup or three to five fresh leaves. Pour your hot water over it and just let it brew. You can make it weaker tea for drinking and a stronger tea if you want to add it to your bath water. Beautiful to rinse your hair in, soak your feet in, etc. You can add sweetness and you can use it to ferment your kombucha, but don't reuse that scoby for another brew if you're going to do it as a, as in a first brew. But it's great just to blend that scoby with the coconut oil and use it as a healing body salve. That's the same for any herb, bush or wild kombucha brews. There are so many bush tucker plants that can be grown and you can grow them in your home gardens. Um, here in Australia, you can have, as long as you've got a lot of room, if you're going to 
grow something like a macadamia nut because that will grow quite quite large. All your aniseed myrtle, your hibiscus rosella, warrigal greens will grow in a pot. You know, bush weeds, your native mint, your, your, your bush basil is just superb and the smell is lovely. There's a cinnamon myrtle and a, the burdekin plum, as we mentioned. You, you've got a native ginger, the peanut tree and all the wattles. The bush tomato, once you grow a bush tomato, you'll never have to grow it again. They just blow all around the place and you end up with them everywhere. A pig face, um, there's a blue condong and the bunya nut. The lemon aspen, the brown plum pine, what else? The um, desert lime, mountain pepper. They all play a part. They're really wonderful um, to add to your food, especially for fermentation. Uh, I'll finish with a barbecue damper because this is what we had up there and it brought me back memories because I haven't had it for a while. You just leave six cups of a flour and you just mix it with three cups of, say, like milk kefir overnight and let that sit. Then in the morning, mix in a teaspoon of ground wattle seeds. Add a half a cup of coconut oil or, or butter if you wish and just work that into the flour mix and the mixture just gently. You don't need to knead it like bread. Just very gently, lightly put it through. Then mix in a cup of cooked pumpkin and a little water if it needs it. And just knead it very briefly and pat it out into soft buns. Bake for an hour in a 180 degree oven or better still place in a cast iron bush oven and bake in a hole with hot coals for about one hour. So let us consider the whole experience of eating. This is really eating from seed to table, from flavour to finish line. But a recipe only provides you with basic information. It's like dancing. You learn by concentrating on the music in your partner. Like in this case, wild greens and salt. And then you put on your dancing shoes to find your own rhythms and style. We really, I really hope you can chew and digest what I've just gone over because foraging is a lot of fun. And the recipes are only guides. They're endlessly adaptable. And we really hope that people can appreciate the importance of approaching food and your health issues and with a sense of just fun and curiosity. So go to it, turn your foraging into an event and don't forget to share your food with your family and friends and give thanks for life's bounty. Because the joy of life, it comes from when we do, we make a dance out of each step along with the stumbles. Look at me, 62 years of age and I've just bought my first Harley. So may you be abundantly fermented and transformed into rich, nourished and beautiful wonders. Happy week ahead, everyone, and I'll see you again next week. I hope your week is very kind and you get to fill it with what lights up your heart.